0: Last week, we, uh, we moved into the, the history of the English translation of Scripture. And um, in the 14th century, you've got John Wycliffe, who uh, dares to publish the New Testament in, uh, in English. And it um, gets him in a lot of trouble. It's not well-received. Um, let me just pause. Hey, Daryl, I think my monitor's off right here. Uh, I think the TV's not on. Well, I appreciate these, this crew, this group of guys up here, and everything that they do. It's uh, oh, and that was that was one other thing I was going to tell you. Um, this this coming Sunday, we, you know, I told you that there's good things happening in this congregation. Uh, starting this sunday and next sunday you' you 're going to you 're going to hear about some of that, and I appreciate also how this works out. I would ask for your prayers uh, this wednesday they 're going to d- dig a wisdom tooth out right over here and let me tell you this guy has been in there for i don 't know when do you, how old are you when you get your wisdom teeth what, about, 18? You're about eighteen you 're about when. so what are they before then are they just are they like tooth seeds or something you know so so, well, we'll put it like this. this. This guy's been in there for 30 years, and he doesn't want to come out, okay? He's at least 30 years, and, uh, but he just, well, anyway. Um, it's my first, almost my first cavity, too, so, you know, I'm not used to this. Anyway, that's Wednesday. So, on Sunday, I'm glad I don't have to speak, because if I did, you might, not a, you might not understand a word I say, I mean, don't know that that's any different than every Sunday, but... Yeah, but this time you, you wouldn't even be able to make sense of the words that I do say. See, and that fits because we're, uh, we're trying to get the word out in English. And what you have with uh, uh, th- this, this move, uh, well, let's, let's kind of cover the history here. Here's where all this activity is going on. It's going on in Europe in the 14th up to the 16th century. Okay, so we're going to cover a, a large gap of time. But remember that you've got uh, John Wycliffe, and he's there in the 1380s in the middle of England. And he is <clears throat> he's working to translate the New Testament and, uh, and then eventually the Old Testament. And he does it in bits and pieces, but he's working out of Latin. He has no access to Scripture other than the Latin. And he, he, he's, not a, um, he's not a scholar in Greek, and even if he was, he wouldn't have access to everything but he, he doesn't get a full, complete Bible translated. He's working in, in, uh, on parts of it. And then others are working along with him. And he has his followers called the Lollards. And that, that Lollard comes from an old uh, Middle English word meaning to mumble. That's what I'm going to be next Sunday. I'm going to be a mumbler because of, this, uh, because of this oral surgery. But they would go out and they would mumble and they would preach. They were called that because they would preach the word in English which if you're used to hearing it in nothing but Latin, and if you're used to hearing everything in Latin, then all of a sudden to hear it in your own language may sound strange and foreign, even though it's your own language. Well, after John Wycliffe, there are some things that happen in the world. You've got the, uh, the, the Renaissance that takes place. Um, they say that Florence, Italy is maybe the, uh, the center of the Renaissance, and you, you have this... you know. It's a new era of learning and understanding and of science and of um, philosophy and art. And so right at the end of John Wycliffe's work translating Scripture into English, you have this Renaissance uh, picking up, uh, well, they're about right at the same time. All of this is happening in the 1300s. And then you have the invention of the printing press. In uh, 1439, this is significant because once you now, th- now they've had printing methods before this, but when they devise the movable type printing press, see John Wycliffe when they translated Scripture, he had to write his copyists had to write everything out by hand. You know, to you and I, some of us remember. Do you remember when the copying machine was invented? I mean, you and I, some of us can remember that. I remember the DittoGraph machines, Uh, and uh, those were the ones that, uh, you know, they're kind of, it's kind of an offset uh, press process, and it used that purple ink, and uh, man, if those were, I don't know why those always came out fresh. I guess people were putting it off to the last minute to copy those, but as a kid, we were, we were, always thrilled to get those things because that that developing fluid or whatever would be on it and we'd get those things and, you know just sniff them in you know it's like you know mm, you know something weird about it it was just but um printing and that whole process that's something that I've always dabbled in and uh and, and and the development of these printing devices and the science that gets us there is interesting and and you know you and I remember okay wow wow if the, when once the copy machine gets here you know so much for carbon paper i mean you know you some of you, you remember carbon paper you don't need that anymore you can make all the copies you want now well the printing press is like that for the for the 15th century because it's a development that changes the game in that now we can take we can make one copy with the with the movable type and now we can print multiple copies of it so if you had a page of the bible now you wouldn't have to hand copy it and make mistakes, but you would have one good copy, and you could sit there and you could press and you could make more and more copies. This is why Gutenberg, who comes up with the printing press, you've heard of the Gutenberg Bibles. The Bible is one of the first things that Gutenberg brings off of that press. So you have this emphasis on learning. You have the printing press. Now building up towards this, you might think, well, what's the relationship with all this? Well, it is related. 1453. Constantinople, which is now Istanbul, falls to the Ottoman Turks. What that does is that see the, the the emphasis of importance and learning in the in the Roman Empire and in the church was centered over here in Constantinople for centuries. Constantinople 's named for Constantine the Great in the fourth century. Constantine the Great makes Christianity a legitimate religion in the empire and it becomes the official um religion in the empire and then the the Byzantines after him the Byzantine empire um that's the center of power so it's the center of religious political and cultural influence When that's taken over by the Ottoman Turks, everything changes and the emphasis shifts this way. You're going to move over to Rome and the Renaissance. All of this emphasis is going to move this way and this way. And and Germany and England are going to come into play. The next development is a man named Erasmus, Desiderius Erasmus. And what he does in 1515 is he publishes. Now, he's got that printing press now, so he can publish it. But he collates all the available Greek manuscripts. Meaning that if if you were to lay out all the Greek manuscripts that you have, and you were to compare how they read, and then you came up with the best reading based on all of those, he comes up with a published edition of the Greek New Testament it's called the Textus Receptus or the Received Text. What it does for scholarship in in biblical studies is amazing because now before you would have to go to all of those manuscripts and you would have to check and see what how do they read and where there's and you might have different readings, and you don't know if you're getting the best, you know, where does this reading come from? Is this from an early manuscript, say 7th century, or does it come from a later manuscript, say 10th century, and it's just copying an error? But now you have all of this available, and Erasmus even has a um, an apparatus so that you can see the notes and, and why things were translated in a certain way, and and, and that continues with published editions of the Greek New Testament today. All of these manuscripts that are discovered are collated and put into that published edition. Now scholars have access to the the original reading in Greek of the New Testament. And there's work done even earlier than this on the Hebrew Bible. And you have a published edition now of the hebrew scriptures then in 1517 look just just a year apart you have the beginning of the protestant reformation and we date it from october 31 1517 because that's the day that martin luther goes and nails the 95 theses on the door of the wittenberg chapel and, and he, he begins, it is called a Protestant Reformation because it, uh, I like the way Bob Fisher says it, protestant, okay? I mean, that kind of, that reminds you, it is, it is in protest of some things with the church. The next development is the act of supremacy. Well, what does that mean? It's, it's an actual... Um, legal move made in england to make henry the eighth the head of the church of england the protestant reformation in england takes place somewhat differently than it does on on the european continent because on the european continent you have people like martin luther or rick zwingli you, you have john calvin you have these individuals who are scholars they're leaders they're churchmen but they're saying hey we need to do this a different way in england the the reformation the protestant reformation is political you have your churchmen involved but you have henry the eighth who suddenly you know realizes that um he doesn't have a male heir and that's a problem there's not going to be a king in england after him there's not going to be a henry the ninth and uh, all he can have is daughters and so he keeps blaming his wives for the problem this is, you know, they, they don't know about chromosomes at this point and uh and so he's uh you know he's having a bit of a problem with that The problem is is once you marry one woman and then you have a child with another woman that that child's not the heir but what if he could annul the marriages that don't count well you can't do that why the pope says you can't get a annulment you can't get a divorce you can't do that and henry suddenly it dawns on him with all of his advisors and legal aid he says but if i was head of the church i could annul my own marriage great idea henry some people don't agree with that and they end up in the tower of london but but some people say you know henry not a bad idea and, and look at what they're doing in germany they're breaking away you know yeah okay so why not we'll just go with the, we'll go with the times we'll come up with our own little church in this kingdom in england the king is the head of the church that's still the the arrangement today you have the archbishop of canterbury but elizabeth the is the actual Head of the Church of England. Anyway, all of this starts working together to create an atmosphere where you have a man named William Tyndall who translates the Bible into English. It's not Middle English like Wycliffe. And furthermore, look at what all now he has in his favor. You have the Reformation movements the time is right you have people asking questions questioning the authority of a institutional church and saying well wait a second why are things the way they are just because some official says this and if there's corruption we can't question it and if there's erroneous ideas we can't even argue about it i mean who says that that's the way it has to be so you've got people who are questioning you have information available through the publication of the Greek New Testament the Hebrew Bible and the printing press makes it available to more people you have an atmosphere of learning and you have the movement towards the west in terms of the importance of what happens if England was just a backwater and the church influence and the power was still in the east in Constantinople this may not make such a big ripple but it does because the importance of of the West in the in the direction of Christianity is going to matter. All of this comes together at the right time so that you have a fellow named William Tyndall, who we're, we're not really sure when he was born, but it looks like maybe when he was 18 he graduated Oxford. And then he got his master's degree in 1515, which now means that he can teach. He has an ability, an aptitude towards languages. Uh, he he, he He fluently speaks something like seven or eight languages and he knows uh, latin and greek and hebrew he's got the ability he's got the training but what he has to do and this is why in this scene right you know in this arrow uh, it's running through london like that because he starts out here but he has to end up in europe doing this translation work because what he ends up doing is not going to be popular with England. Um, it's not going to be popular with Henry VIII either. Why does he do this? Tyndall's got, um, got vision. He says, uh, <clears throat> I had perceived, and this is in the old spelling as, it, as it's actually printed by Tyndall. He says, I had perceived by experience how that it was impossible. To establish the lay people in any truth except the Scripture were plainly laid before their eyes in their mother tongue. Tyndall is one of the, f- the first to realize that unless you can hear Scripture in your own native language, it never makes the same impact if you have to hear it through translation. This is why people that we know even today are translating Scriptures people, it's easy to criticize that and say, well, why can't people just get it in some other language that it's already been translated in? Because until you can hear it, and as some missionaries that I know and translators I know, they call it not the mother language, but they call it your heart language. I mean, the language that you're going to pray in, the language that you're going to think in, until you can hear it in that, it doesn't have the same impact. And why not translate it? If we have the means and the ability I mean, here, Tyndall takes risks, and yet he has more means and ability than John Wycliffe ever had. And he understands this principle. Now, there's another moment where Wycliffe, or or, I'm sorry, Tyndall, Tyndall, in his times, obviously is someone who's pushing for the truth. And you can see how much it matters to him in this statement. He wants people to be able to hear the truth of Scripture. He doesn't want it mediated through officials and through, uh, through politicians and through uh, institutional church leaders. And so there's an occasion where someone says to him, well, you know, Tyndall, it would be better if we were without God's laws than the laws of the Pope. He's saying that if we had to be missing on one, it would be better for us to have the Pope's laws rather than God's laws. In other words, you can trust the Pope, Because he's going to give it to your right. And if we have to miss out. And and this had to do with the translation. It's like look if we can't understand scripture. But as long as we can understand the Pope we're okay. Tyndall does not care for that statement at all. And his response is. I defy the Pope and all his laws. If God spare my life ere many years. I will cause a boy that driveth the plow. To know more of the scripture than he does. Meaning the Pope. Tyndall's objective is, I'm going to have that simple kid out there working in the field. He's going to be a scholar in Scripture, and he's going to know more than the head of the official church. This is Tyndall. This is what he cares about. This is his passion. This is what drives him. His scholarship is not to make him important. His scholarship is so that others can understand the truth. It's his mission. So Tyndall, because of statements like that, I'm sure too, and because of his again it's an you know it's an attitude that we can respect but hey it's going to get you in trouble in uh in the 16th century in in england or anywhere but what he does is he flees to what are called the free cities of uh germany now he doesn't just go to germany he goes to these these city states in germany where they have some freedom and and again the times are just right because while he's there he can um uh he can he can be protected from extradition. You know, in a way, he's kind of a uh, 16th century WikiLeaks. You know, everybody's like, "Well, why don't we just stop the WikiLeaks guy?" Well, because the the WikiLeaks guy, Julian Assange, is in a uh, I think it's like a Ecuadoran. Um, a, um, uh, Embassy, embassy. Thank you, Jerry. Embassy in London, I think, is where, where it's or, or Paris or something. But anyway, it's so the Ecuadorian embassy said, "Yeah, let's put him up in here." And now you can't touch him because he's on he's on Ecuador's soil. He's under Ecuador's. And so the guy's been trapped in this in this embassy, you know. But meanwhile, he's releasing all of this data and stuff like that. You know, all the the hack data. It's like yeah, freedom, freedom for the people. I want everybody to know the truth. Well, in his own way. Uh, I know it's not a fair comparison. Tyndall's like that. By going to the free cities, he escapes those political powers that would want to do him in. And so while he's in those free cities, he's working on his translations of Scripture. And he uh, he is getting Bibles. And again, like, like Wycliffe, he's working on portions of it. Okay, And uh, he, he, he never, Tyndall's the one... I. I I may have said Wycliffe earlier Tyndall's the one who will never actually complete the full Bible But he and his uh, comrades are working on it He and his colleagues are working on this And so while he's doing this He's, he's smuggling these Bibles into England This is one of those tiny little pocket Bibles Just like you know, Wycliffe if, if they found somebody with one of those unauthorized translations It would get you in a lot of trouble Tyndall's doing the same thing and, and these Bibles are illegal in England because these are not the official translation. You're not supposed to preach from these. You're not supposed to read these. You're not supposed to have these. This is contraband. They can make more of them because of the printing press process. And actually, people with printing presses are lining up to say, hey, we want to we publish that. Why? Because people want these and we want to publish it. Henry VIII ordered them burned. If you find one of those English Bibles, burn them. It's not official. Politics are definitely involved here. And, of course, the translation is condemned by Catholic leaders. Why? Because it's not approved. Tyndall is an outlaw. The English uh, court, the court of King Henry VIII, wants him. The Catholic Church wants him. Tyndall, now, what did Tyndall do to the King of England? I mean, if he's got uh, Henry Eighth and the Pope both against him, why, why can't he turn that? Because. Tyndall is one of those who said, Henry, you can't get an annulment. Why? Because Tyndall's Catholic? Well, not necessarily. It's because Tyndall's so committed to the truth that he reads Scripture and he says, it's not right. And so even Henry won't be Tyndall's friend because of this. He's accused of being anti-clerical. How? When he's wanting to publish the Bible. Because here's the thing. When Tyndall starts translating, he's not just translating word for word. He's saying, you know, some of these things that you see in Scripture, and Wycliffe was doing the same thing about 150 years later. He was saying some of this stuff, the way that they have the uh, the clergy set up as kind of special and a different class, and they're the only ones who can handle Scripture. He said, none of that's found in the Bible. Well, obviously, these guys, because... Tyndall's a threat to their job security. They're going to go after him. We don't like the way he's doing this. And, and Tyndall will change words uh, that, that had become um, you know, special and important, just as Wycliffe did. Uh, you know, words for, uh, you know, again, Tyndall's wanting to go back to the original meaning of the words instead of what they mean in the 1500s. Uh, he's accused of erroneous translations. They're only erroneous because it doesn't agree with someone's agenda. Tyndall is betrayed. Someone who comes to him, pretending to be a um, a fellow seeker of truth, who comes to work with him, he's convinced to betray Tyndall to the authorities. And when Tyndall leaves the free cities, uh, he is extradited and uh, he's in Europe, and it's in Europe that under the authority of Henry VIII or however they want to do it, you know, their, their legal means, they execute him. They, uh, they strangle him, and they burn him at the stake on October 6, 1536. The uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs tells this tale, and uh, the, the, the legend is, is that as he was being executed, Tyndall prayed a prayer, and he said, Lord, Open the king of England's eyes. Because he knew that all of this was coming from fear from the king of England. That if, that if Henry or anybody could just embrace this work, it meant no harm to anybody. It's just about the truth. Tyndall wasn't trying to destroy anyone except anyone who would uh, set themselves up in opposition to God's truth. Tyndall's legacy is amazing. In fact, because of Tyndall, you and I have words like scapegoat. Tyndall invents that word for the English language because he's trying to translate an original word and describe what that is, and so he calls it a scapegoat. And you and I use the term Passover in English for Passover. Because before that, it, 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 had, uh, it was often called um, uh, something else. It was transliterated. But Tyndall knew that 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 term didn't describe very well what was going on and sometimes easter was put in there you know the translations weren't very good into english and you only had it in, in in its latin forms and so he develops a new word passover um he even puts in new words like overseer instead of bishop and and he won't translate ecclesia as church he'll translate it as congregation because when they hear church they hear you know, the Holy Catholic Church, the the, the institutional group. But then Tyndall says, you know, it makes more sense to name it as congregation. And Tyndall's using a method of translation that takes the original sense and puts it into the language of the hearers. And that goal of translation is still sought after by the best translators today and by the best interpreters and by good preachers who know that you, a word doesn't mean the same thing throughout history. That words that we may have used just 50 years ago don't mean the same thing today. And so sometimes when people say, well, you know, I don't know, these, these modern newfangled translations, they, do, they, they use words that the old translations didn't use. That's right. Because those words don't mean the same thing anymore, and there's a better way to communicate the same idea with a new word. Tyndall is doing that. 84% of the King James Version, and we'll talk about that uh, in two weeks, agrees with Tyndall. That's how solid his translation is. That later English translations will often agree with him that he, you know, it's like, man, he he nailed it. I mean, eighty-four percent. Look at that. I mean, on his on his first pass, he gets a he gets a B. I mean, you know, he he's like, yeah, yeah that's pretty good grade for translating the whole Bible. Uh, he's translating from the original sources, and again, he's he's one of the first to do that, and that matters because now you don't have to go through the um, the filter of Latin, which is going to change your translation. If you're translating through Latin, that's going to That's going to shade or color your translation. But now he can go back and he can start anew and go straight from the original languages to English. Um, He is followed by Miles Coverdale. And the next English translation that you'll see uh, in your list, you know, sometimes if you want to look up English translations, because after Tyndall, there's a lot of English translations. I mean, people jump into it. And there's a market for it as well. And there's a need for it as well. And one of the next is the Coverdale Bible. In fact, the Coverdale Bible is the first full Bible to be published. Now remember, Tyndall never publishes a complete full Bible. He publishes the New Testament. He publishes parts of the Old Testament. He dies in 1536. In 1535, he had already been arrested. Coverdale is one of his uh, companions who's in exile working with him And Coverdale simply builds on Tyndall's work. I mean, he gets the majority of his translation right straight from Tyndall. And Tyndall knows this. I mean, they're 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 working on this project together. But here he's also in exile. Now, I want you to remember that prayer that 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 Tyndall prayed. Lord, open the King of England's eyes. The next English translation of note is what's called the Great Bible. The Great Bible is called the Great Bible because when they publish this Bible, it's huge. And it'll have illustrations in it. What happens in 1538, November of 1538, two years after Tyndall's been executed, Henry VIII orders that every church in England should have an English Bible. Are you kind of hating on Henry VIII right now? I am, always have been. I don't know if he's a good king or not. I don't dig Henry the Eighth. But anyway, the uh, but the point is, Henry the Eighth orders that every church in England should have an English Bible, and it's this large printed edition. and the And the front page of the Great Bible. This is a copy. This is most likely Henry's copy because it's all it's all colored in. It would have been printed, but this coloring would have had to be done by hand what you have here in this picture and it's got all these it's a cartoon it's really a cartoon all, the, all everybody's saying stuff you know and we can't you know we won't read it cuz can't but this says the bible in english okay they, they play around spelling has not been standardized at this point okay so you, you do what you can but this is henry and henry so wonderful that he's given copies of this great bible to the head officials of the church and they're saying things like, I mean, I, I don't know, I can't read that, but Henry's saying stuff like, you know, I am great, I'm going to give you an English Bible, everyone should have an English Bible, and these guys are saying, great idea, Henry, we should do that, oh, how wonderful, you're a great king, and then here they are down here, and then they're handing out Bibles to all of the preachers in the area, and all of the the, the bishops, and the clerics, and whoever else, you know, that are official church of england type folk and then down here they're out here preaching it to the people and they're like look we're going to read to you from the english bible and henry will even go so far as to say people ought to come by and they ought to read that bible we're going to leave that great bible out so that folk can come by and if they can read they can read it for themselves we're going to open it up and give them the word and then we're going to preach it and we're going to we're going to proclaim readings in english and people can hear it even if they can't read i'd say Tyndall's prayer was answered No matter how it was done, how twisted it was, the Word is still getting out there, and the Word will do its work. And once again, I point this out to say, you and I should never take for granted the gift of truth that comes to us so so easily on the one hand, and yet it's because of events like this that have made it possible. So, use your freedom for God's purposes study read know it get that word in your heart Uh, we're going to sing this song at this point and if you want to partake of the communion it's in room 100 which is right out here you can go there during that song and uh, then Alexander will dismiss us in prayer after this song let's stand let's sing